How are you? I'm doing great. We just went thrifting with our girls. I have a rule. If I see a t-shirt for sale. <laughs> You're not going to tell them. If I see a t-shirt for sale for $5 or less, I will uh, buy it. Yeah, he does have that rule. Sometimes I, we have a noogie champ walking around with me. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Welcome to Just Over the Fence, our podcast where we get to know uh, our neighbors. Backyard conversations. Yeah, we started this podcast here during the pandemic. Well, this is something we've been thinking about for a long time. Since we met. And uh, so we've been thinking about it forever. And during the pandemic, it was time. Right. Here we were stuck at home and uh, a chance to talk to our neighbors, as we call it, backyard conversations just over the fence. Everybody has a story. We just simply want to hear them and share them. Yeah. I think as as we hear more of those stories, we find we have more in common than we realize, especially these days. What's most personal is most universal. Isn't that the same? Yeah. So thanks for listening. This uh, episode 16, uh, we are honored to talk with Boyd Bristow, South, well-known South Dakota musician and artist. And he has a piano in his studio, and we get to play this tune together that I have I guess I first heard it sitting in with Poker Alice at Carey's in Vermilion. Larry would sing it. And I didn't know it was written by Boyd until way later. And then it was on Boyd's CD. And I was like, boy, if I could ever play that tune with Boyd, that'd be that'd be a thrill. Almost ready to do that. And he said, okay. So we get to do it. <laughs> Can't wait. Here we go. Boyd, what's one of your happiest memories? One of my happiest memories was actually my CD release concert. Um, it was on a Veterans Day about 15, 16 years ago. Um, I had done this album with Chris Gage and Christine Albert down in Austin. Uh, and uh, so now it's time to try to sell these CDs. And so we did a, a, a CD release concert at the Orpheum Theater here in Sioux Falls. And Dar really worked on it. Uh, um, we got like newspaper interviews about it. I had a cast of uh, 12 musicians, I think. You know, I had Nick Swayback, Owen DeYoung, Mike Connor, Fred Evans on drums, Al Raymond on drums, uh, Crazy Legs on, uh, on uh, Dennis Jensen on Hammond organ and guitar. Well, anyway, there was twelve of us, and we didn't—you know—I didn't know what to expect. And um, Brian Bondi of East of West Road was helping me out, and and we were all backstage ready to go on at, at seven o'clock, and we were standing on the wings of the stage ready to troop out on stage. And he comes running up and he says, um, um, "We're going to have to hold on this concert." He says, "You've got people lined up around the street, down around the corner." And uh, I just, uh, <laughs> I, I just couldn't believe it, you know. And so uh, we came out and we played that show, and, and uh, just having all my friends there and and the, the tremendous support in the in the audience, you know. Um, and it was uh, uh, Terry Pospisil was on that show too, and he had CDs that he had just recorded, and so we both got to sell our CDs and. And um, it was, 
it's got to be the greatest uh, moment uh, for me in in my life, you know, musically. So I was very happy. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that CD, mm-hmm. when I first heard one of the songs on there, I fell in love with the song, the singer, and also the piano player, which was Chris Gage. Mm-hmm. It's a song you wrote quite a few years ago, I think, for the Red Willow Band, and you wrote it yeah. for... This, I'm talking about finding my way. Right. This is a uh, this is a special song, and in, 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 uh, there's actually there's a there's actually a story behind this song. And um, when I was in Blueberry Buckle, the great singer Susan Osborne joined our band, and she went on to play with the Paul Winter Consort and become a big star in Japan. Uh, but at the time, she was from Ames, Iowa, working, and the same night she sat in with us, we asked her to join the band. She said yes and moved to Sioux Falls. And just a one-of-a-kind singer and a free spirit. And so I wrote the song, Finding My Way Now and Then, imagining I was Susan Osborne. And the idea was that she this was going to be a song for her to sing. But it's really not quite Susan's style. I mean, it's, it's a little country swing song. And she sang it and everything. Uh, but, but she's... A, you know, her, her stuff is, is in a different direction. But I wrote it for her, and then Red Willow did record it. But a funny thing did happen. I wrote that song for Susan, and then she moved away to, she was living in Ames again, and I, I, we were playing in Ames, and so I visited her on the day that her very first solo album was released. And so I walked into her living room, and she had boxes everywhere with her solo album. And so I was helping her unpack. And uh, the record company had packed, used old album covers of different bands you've never heard of as packing material. And so we were looking at these old, uh, of artists you've never heard of. And I pick one up, and I see Boyd Bristow. And it's finding my way now and then. Some band that I'd never heard of um, recorded that song that I'd written for Susan that showed up at her apartment on that day. You know, and, you know, to me at the time, see, things like this happen around Susan all the time. And I didn't even keep that album cover. I mean, it was just so, oh, yeah, this is, this is what happens when you're around Susan Osborne, you know. Right. Um, wow. Well, anyway, so then when I went to record it at Chris's, they had already done the the kind of the version that we all do, the country swing, finding my way now and then. And I just wanted to do something a little different with it. And you're the first person, <laughs> as far as I know, you're the first person that said, you know, I like it that way, yeah. you know. And so that's very reaffirming. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Well, ever since I heard that more you know, slowed down version. Yeah. I've I've hoped to have a chance to play it with you. I wondered if we could. You bet. Play me a chord.
Jumping in here, this is Just Over the Fence, Matt and Harry with Boyd Bristow today. Yes. And uh, that recording was intended to be a sound check. Yes. But we got to the end of it and realized we had the take. We said, what the heck? Let's keep this one. (laughs) There it is. Keep the raw footage, right? Back to more with Boyd Bristow now. You originally from South Dakota? No, I'm from Iowa. And uh, Dar and I moved here right after we got married in in, uh, 19... it was probably 1971 or 72, I guess, we moved here. So been here just about 50 years now. Dar and I were both in school down in Sioux City, Iowa. 
and I was playing with a band called the Franklin Carter Blues Band, which was a Sioux City band with some really good musicians. And we started uh, playing up in South Dakota in Sioux Falls here at Harry's Happy Hour, uh, which is now right part of Minerva's restaurant downtown. And uh, people started coming in, and I started meeting the local musicians from Sioux Falls. And they were doing a lot of great songwriting. And I wasn't, you know. I mean, we were we were doing blues material and cover songs and Steppenwolf and whatever, you know. And and so I talked the band into moving to Sioux Falls, and um, they they went along with it, but eventually backed out. But I but Dar and I did. We moved here, mm -hmm. and so it, it was the first thing that attracted me to South Dakota was the the fact that we had so many talented songwriters and musicians doing stuff that I had never heard of and hadn't been exposed to. And and, uh, and then the people were just so open and friendly. You know, Dar was able to get a job here in town. And it was a time George McGovern was running for president. And so we were part of all that scene of uh, seems like all our friends were involved in his campaign or something and it was a very exciting place to be and then we just kind of gradually fell in love with being here you know that is a sense i've had and part of this i think you've kind of become one of the archivists of south dakota music history but there was a lot of a lot of great songwriting going on yes back then so that was part of the draw yeah Definitely, uh, and they, they're still doing it. You know, the, the younger musicians are, are still writing their own stuff. And I always thought that, well, probably all towns of this mid-size were like that, and maybe they are, but I've kind of heard through the grapevine that it, there, there is something special here, or was, or is, and maybe it's that there it used to be anyway, there wasn't much else to do except you know, write songs, <laughs> you know, and, and that's, of course, changing, you know, but yeah. uh, everything is becoming kind of homogenized now, but uh, across everywhere, but, uh, uh, you know, people made their own fun, you know. So 50 years, you said you've been in South Dakota. Right. What would you say to the young musicians just starting out, knowing what you know now, reflecting back, you said it was a great place, it is a great place. Well, uh, the the great uh, songwriter and guitarist and singer Greg Brown came to Sioux Falls uh, quite a few years ago, and he was quoted in the paper on this, and uh, he said he loved playing in South Dakota. He said the, the people here are, uh, what was the word, um, vociferously unhip. You know, uh, something like that. And I knew exactly what he meant. Musicians will just play anything that they can. They're not trying to be somebody else so much. Uh, not that they're not influenced by all the, the big names and so forth, but but they just very down home about it. Uh, very, I, you might even say they have somewhat of a rural attitude. Um, and now the city... The town here has over, almost tripled since I moved here. But that attitude, I, when I see the younger musicians, I mean, they're into folk music and they're, and they're into high-energy folk music and um, all kinds of uh, electric music and, and, and experimental music. 
and but they still have that uh oh, shucks come on in you know you know they're not uh dressed up real fancy or anything <laughs> you know so it's this down home back porch uh thing that's uh that attracted me and is still going on i think i hope who else were some major influences on you early on, Boyd, and today? Well, I could kind of break that up to two parts. Uh, when I came to Sioux Falls, they were listening to stuff that I wasn't exposed to. One of them was uh, Ry Cooter. It was old folk music, uh, doing it his own way, really sprung rhythm stuff that he had going. Just an amazing guitarist. Now, he plays mostly slide guitar these days because he's well known for that. But I'll tell you what, back in the early days, he was playing six-string acoustic and electric guitar and uh, unbeatable. I mean, just uh, amazing feel. That was a major influence on me. Now, the second part would be I was playing, I got in a band with uh, Tombo on bass, uh, Jimmy Carlson on drums, and a, a fellow by the name of Mark Hengem on uh, lead guitar and I played next to Mark uh, he was already famous around here uh, tremendous guitarist and, and singer and songwriter and uh, we played together for about eight months I suppose he really mentored me or taught me just by watching him a style of playing that um, really was highly influential on the way I play it was um a lot of single note stuff. He didn't use any effects. He didn't even use reverb. Just uh, had a tremendous knowledge of the guitar and feel for it. Just very melodic playing. His nickname is Buck, Buck Hengem. And, I, and he's up in Minneapolis now. And uh, he went on to become a classical guitarist and teach guitar. And uh, uh, still writing just incredible songs. So... Boyd, if I could say one way you influenced me, jamming at Carrie's with Poker Alice. I was younger and still in the mode of trying to play as many notes as possible on the piano. And here comes Boyd Bristow playing the right notes. That's, that has stuck with me. <laughs> Thank you. That, that's a tremendous compliment. Thank you very much. What more can I say about that other than I'm still on the journey. Yeah. I, I still sometimes I get excited, start playing too many notes, um, you know. Me too. <laughs> me too. Could you just give me a thumbnail? I mean, you've played with a number of bands, but kind of the, the biggest points in your musical history here, groups and, and what you've done here. My first band actually was just inducted into the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a couple years ago. We were called the Shyman. We started out as a class, three guys from our little Burt High School class, you know, and eventually, by you know, kept together and eventually we were doing like, we were a soul band by the time we ended, you know, we started out doing, uh, you know, Kingston Trio stuff, you know, and then when I moved to South Dakota, uh, I was in Sioux City with that band I mentioned earlier, which was a good band, good musicians. And um, when I moved to South Dakota, I got in with Blueberry Buckle, and, and that was very influential to me because two very talented songwriters in the band already. I mean, we would do 250 days a year playing for about five or six years, just around South Dakota and a couple other states, you know, a real bonding experience with, with that group. And uh, um, after that, uh, 
I was with a rhythm and blues band, uh, R&B Supply, and both those bands have been in, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame here in South Dakota. And then I was in Red Willow for a couple of years. And back in those days, we were just in one band, you know. I moved to Nashville for Dar, my wife Dar, to go to seminary. And uh, I played down there for about a year until I asked three guys from South Dakota to move down to Nashville, and they did. And so we played down there for two years, and, and we were Dickie Lee's uh, main backup band. And then we just traveled. We were called the Traveling Band, and we did. I mean, one time we left the first day of spring and uh, returned home the first day of summer, exactly. So uh, that's, you know, I mean, we had a school bus. We could do 50, 55 miles an hour. One year, I think our last year together, we figured out that we had touched 40 states. So the Traveling Band was uh, the right name. Dickie Lee, a familiar name, but yeah. just a quick sketch of him. Tremendous yeah. man, and he's still still alive. When I was a kid, listening to the radio, doing my homework, he was a pop star. He did, Patches, oh, what can I do? You know, and then he had his so-called dead girl songs, Lori, uh, Strange Things <laughs> Happen in This World, uh, just a great voice. Uh, but then he you know, went into songwriting, and moved, he was in Nashville. The very, he says that the first song he wrote was She Thinks I Still Care, and that became number one for George Jones, then number one for Elvis Presley, and then it became number one for Ann uh, Murray, He Thinks I Still Care, <laughs> and, and, he would, and he wrote country songs, and so we'd go out on tour with him occasionally, and and he would do his old hits and his songs that he was writing for Reba McIntyre or whatever. So that was Nashville. And then Dar and I moved back so she could start her ministry. And from then on, it's been several, kind of you'd be in several groups just trying to fill out the schedule and because you had time to be in several groups. And so. So talk a little bit about that. Matt and I um, come from two different worlds, and we try really hard, just like on this podcast. Hopefully it comes through to uh, mesh our worlds together and support each other um, in the busy mm-hmm. lifestyle of uh, ministry and music. How did that work? Mm-hmm. I love doing sound, and so I had a role in Dar's ministry all, all the churches that she, she served, I would, uh, you know, I'm just a control freak. And so, you know, I would, you know, take over the sound system right away and, you know, uh, talk my way into, you know, you, you got to let me run this thing, you know, and <laughs> still doing that today. Uh, and then I, and from her standpoint, I mean, she apparently just really loves music because she, she has always come along on these trips uh, that we take now to play. And also just, she's just incredibly supportive of me. And I mean, for about 15 years, I was a full-time musician, uh, which didn't pay much, you know, just subsistence living. And so whatever job she had would help us get through. And so, and she put up with all that, you know, and uh, because she thought that was something that uh, fed my soul, I guess. You know, it's an incredible thing, and I'm just a very lucky person in that regard. Understood. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to forget about Acoustic Christmas. You've been yeah. driving 
Mm-hmm. Piece of, and maybe that's, I don't actually mm-hmm. know the exact history. I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. you started that. I did not. I, I, I joined about the third year they did it. Uh, okay. I, we, I was living up in Huron where Dar was serving, and, and they were in Sioux Falls. And they had done a couple concerts where they would ask a different guest to come in each year. Mm-hmm. And the third year, they asked me. And um, and I came in, and, and uh, um, I had a recording you know, set up. And I said, well, let's, you know, how about if we make a record, you know? And uh, and maybe that's why I got to stay in the group, you know? <laughs> you know, we ended up doing 16 albums, you know, mm-hmm. over the years. And, uh, um, and it was just a wonderful experience. Uh, um, we were playing at the Jeske Auditorium and filling that out, filling that up. And, and then the Washington Pavilion opened, and I'll never forget, we went down there to book the Washington Pavilion, and we said we want it for five nights. And uh, the lady said, uh, gee, this is, you know, an 1800-seater. Are you sure that you really want it for five nights? And we said yes, and uh, there was lines around the block for weeks, and uh, we filled that place up, you know. So it was quite a family event. Uh, people would bring their grandchildren, and uh, and we would work up a new show every year and memorize it all, and, and uh, it was a lot of work, you know, but a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very meaningful experience for me. So you were a guest, and then you stayed. Well, yeah. then they asked me to stay, and, and and like my advice for young musicians is, you know, be the one that owns the PA system. <laughs> um, if you're going to lead the band, either sing <laughs> or own the PA. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. What's your first standout memory of music? So we talked about college on up, but prior to that, was there family influence? Was there a moment in time? I, re- I I remember the the first experience of getting uh, of noticing music. Uh, I was in my grandfather's and grandmother's house uh, in northern Iowa, and I was a very little boy. And um, they had the radio on, and I almost guarantee it was WNAX, and it was polka music. And I remember just being dumbfounded, spellbound, listening to the the the, the tuba with the dung, 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 and, and the horn arrangements, and, and it just transported me. Then I, I think it kind of um, went dormant until I was, uh, you know, teenager or something like that, but that's my first memory, you know. Until you were a teenager, and... Yeah, my dad was in the military, and so... We were stationed out in Washington, D.C. when I was in junior high, and uh, I'd listen to the radio, and they had great radio near Washington, D.C. I mean, uh, just all kinds of music. And uh, and so I would do my homework and listen to that music, and Dickie Lee was one of them, and uh, lots of black music. And, and then one night uh, I was watching TV, and the Limelighters came on. It was the Hootenanny era. And the Limelighters came on TV and did a commercial that went, Lucky Strike has found the secret that unlocks the flavor. Un-. It was a cigarette commercial. Mm-hmm. And they were just so, it, it, it just, wow, these guys, you know, two guitars and a stand-up bass. 
And uh, so I started listening to folk music, and and uh, they were very, you know, and I bought all the Limelighter records, and they were funny. I mean, they were funny, and very very talented musicians and singers and arrangers. And they sang in many languages. I mean, they were just you know, Kingston Trio was the biggest, and you know, and of course Peter Paul and Mary were giants, and the Limelighters were just you know. Really good. I mean, mm-hmm. they were really good. So, was it a guitar that came soon? At, or oh, maybe, yeah. That, yeah. What happened? Yeah. When I was a, a freshman in high school, I got a Sears and Roebuck classical nylon string guitar and uh, got a book uh, written by Happy Trom. He, and he still is amazingly still alive, I believe. And a very great book on how to play the guitar. He made it easy to learn. And, uh, and so, but there was. You know, very few guitar players in my little town. There was uh, one other kid in in high school that played, and and so we started a band immediately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even though we didn't <laughs> know how to play. <laughs> the same story has been told how many I times know. across? I know it. I know across it. the world. Two guitars and a PA. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. If you could uh, today fly in and or drive over and uh, play with anybody, who would it be? Well, uh, you know, of course, uh, I suppose the first thing that comes to mind would be, you know, that guy I mentioned earlier, Ry Cooter. Uh, I, I wouldn't, I'd love to jam with him, although I, I wouldn't dare play anything. I, I would just... <laughs> I just want to listen to him up close, and um, uh, that would be, uh, you know, one of them <laughs> for sure, uh, Ry Cooter. I just have to ask a funny question. I don't know if Matt will keep this or not either, but uh, you said your dad was in the Marine Corps. Right. Mine was in the Army. So when you picked up that guitar and decided to go in that direction, how was that received? Well, you know, he... One thing about my dad was, for some reason, he didn't try to guide me into the things that he was really known for, which he was. He did some amazing things. Uh, he he wrote the hand-to-hand combat manual for the United States Marine Corps, and he was the model. Just a tremendous. He was in naval intelligence. He did all these, and he was a boat builder. Uh, you know, an uh, expert marksman, I suppose, and and uh, but he never, he never dragged me into any of that. You know, that's amazing to me. Um, and um, he just let me kind of do follow my own interests. And so when it came to me being in the bands, and you know, we were playing in twenty one bars when I was sixteen, and so every once in a while he'd have to come, or my mother would have to come, and that was the only way it could be legal. Um, until we got shut down under, believe it or not, the Child Labor Act in Algona, Iowa, which is another story. But uh, he would come every once in a while and just be appalled that we had the cords weren't neat. And so he'd come up and make the cords. Come on, guys, you're stepping on the cords, you know. They're going to wear out, you know. And uh, it was, uh, I don't know what he thought of it, uh, but he he was certainly uh, tolerant of it. You know, and uh, maybe even liked it, you know. Yeah. That's incredible. Just the things you described to me about your father, he was, he had a uh, side of him of the creativity as well. 
just doing all the things that he did. Yeah, and he could sing in tune, too. Both my mom and dad could could carry a tune, um, although that wasn't a big... They didn't sit around the piano and sing or anything like that. I mean, it wasn't like that. Just every once in a while you'd hear him singing in a different room, you know. But my mother was the the one that was so supportive. And her mother, my grandmother, um, they helped me buy my first Martin. Uh, you know, they, they financed it. And then when that was stolen, they helped me buy my second Martin. <laughs> you know, um, and they loved music. And so tremendously supportive. And my mother was usually the one that would come and sit for four hours while we at, played at Tall Paul's Bar in Algona, Iowa, and for for people who were 21 years old mm-hmm. or more. Here's another take on that question about who would you jam with. Mm-hmm. I have a time machine here. I can press a button. You can go back in history, have lunch or coffee or a beer with anyone in history. Mm-hmm. Who would it be and why? Uh, Mark Twain. Um, and uh, Or Shakespeare. <laughs> Shakespeare, who are you? <laughs> No, Mark Twain, because, um, okay, I, I love humor, and of course his short stories were so creative and funny, uh, but he's also extremely serious commentator in, uh, on American life at the time, and a lot of his insights and thoughts are just exactly as true today, uh, but just, and he was a performer, too. And so, uh, again, I might not really be able to say anything, but uh, just to to hear Mark Twain talk would be, (laughs) that would be maybe the first thing that comes to my mind, anyway. Speaking of that, you're the first person we've had on the show that uh, hasn't engaged with the people that they would either jam with or um, on a vocal level or gone back in time with, what keeps you grounded? What keeps you humble in that way? If I look back retrospectively, I've always been a a striver. Uh, There's always been uh, just trying to get better, trying to be worthy, you know. And, uh, um, you know, I've, like, when I moved to South Dakota, I mean, you know, well, when I was in Sioux City, I mean, all the other musicians were very accomplished, and I was still trying to keep up with them. And then when I moved to South Dakota, they were just miles ahead when it came to um, the stuff they were into. And so I was just trying to learn, and and um, uh, and you know that has never gone away. I, I'm still trying to learn, and still trying to develop. And uh, Dar, my wife, really helps me keep grounded. I would say because. Uh, you know, uh, there's more to life than just uh, going out on the road and playing music and uh, and thinking about music all the time. I think about music a lot, or sound, sound, you know, mixing and recording. And I think about that a lot. And uh, so having a person that you can uh, also relate to other aspects of life with, you know, really does keep a keep me grounded, I would say. How many songs do you think you've written? Uh, well, I would say the songs that I, I think that are keepers, maybe a dozen or so. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really write all that much. There is something about, I hear this from songwriters, that it's just the 
Yeah. Just the doing it, you know. Yeah, but you, you gotta you gotta have something to say, and uh, that's that's hard for me to come up with sometimes. So, words first for you, or both together. Both together. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then for me, in the past, it's been uh, you know you you start writing a song. And then it's not very good, or there's something fatally flawed with it. And but underneath that, then another song of, of a completely different ilk starts to emerge. Also on that CD, "Cloudless Sky," mm-hmm. there's a couple of tunes, or uh, one poem and a tune by Bruce Preheim. Right. And uh, I'm we're here in your studio. I'm looking at Bruce's painting of Johnny Cash that he gave to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, two. Uh, Two remarkable pieces by him on that CD. Yeah. Kneeling at the Foot of the Cross and the poem, The the Poet Who Writes Late at Night. Right. I mean, those are... Yeah. Those are gems. Yeah. I mean, Bruce uh, had a way with a lyric that, uh, like, he, he did, um, Today I Smiled Away. The, the internal rhymes that almost... I mean, like, it's uh, walking down a gravel road, the moon was round and silver... Um, let's see. Excuse me. Let's see. I can't remember how to say it, but uh, so. walking down a gravel road, moon was round and silver. Electric wires were making noise, and now they made me quiver. I heard a lonesome coon dog's howl for his mistress across the river. My thoughts of you cross my mind, sending shivers down my spine. You know, just the in, the gift of gift of words, uh, the lyric, and uh, you did a a song called uh, "Don't Lie to Me, Darling." You ain't been bowling. I mean, just uh, you know, he did a whole song using bowling metaphors. You know, the only lines are rolling, and the lines are rolling me. You know. Tender songs, funny songs, just a gift of lyric. And I, should, I shouldn't I should assume, I mean, I know his name is well known in South Dakota, but yeah. artist, painter, uh, yeah. uh, pencil and yeah. paper, ink and, yeah. and paper, and uh, just, but also a re- remarkable writer. That's right. And uh, I was over at Bruce's one time, and he I saw all the notebooks he keeps, and uh he had drawings everywhere on these notebooks with bits of song lyrics on almost every page. And and he, he said that one time he told me that when he was working as a alcohol and drug counselor that he'd be driving to work and he'd just have to pull over to the side of the road and write because mm-hmm. he, he couldn't keep it back. You know, see, this is not the experience that I have <laughs> trying to write songs. You know, and uh, so, um, and I think... You know, people like Tom Peterson, Buck Hengem, Hank Harris, uh, Jamie Lynn, some of these people that I know from South Dakota. I mean, I, I think they may have that, too. Yeah. Put you on the spot. Would you be willing to play that tune by uh, Bruce Preheim, Kneeling at the Foot of the Cross? Oh, you bet. I know that one. I like this song because... Uh, Bruce, while he wrote things like "You ain't been bowling," "Don't lie to me, darling," "You ain't been bowling," uh, also had a side to him that's got a lot of soul to it. 
If you shed a drop of blood for every sin that's owned my name, I lay my soul in open book. Come naked to bed within your pain and misery. Could you find mercy for me and wash me clean, Lord? Wash me clean, Lord, while I'm kneeling at the foot of the cross. Though I've lived more days without you than I've had you in my heart, though I often turn my back. And chose to live apart within your pain and misery. Could you find mercy for me? Wash me clean, Lord. Wash me clean, Lord. While I'm kneeling at the foot of the cross. Wash me clean, Lord, wash me clean, Lord, while I'm kneeling at the foot of the cross. (laughs) That's powerful. Thank you. So we ask everybody at the end, Boyd, if Mm. you'll humor us. What would you like to throw just over the fence? A piece of wisdom, advice, what not to do, what to do, mistakes, not mistakes, whatever you want. Well, the words that come to mind would be uh, open it up. As I get older, I realize that in retrospect and also just kind of looking around, I mean, we all have a human proclivity to uh, just dig in and and um, and and try to close things down, and I think it's not other people. I think it's it's just a, a survival instinct, maybe or something. But uh, to the extent that we can uh, allow things to open up and uh, allow other people in, allow other situations to happen. I mean, most of the good things that have happened to me is because I've been forced into them practically, you know, I mean, you know, obligations or whatever. And uh, that usually that's the way that leads to good things. And uh, rather than closing things down, trying to narrow the focus down, you know, make it a smaller group of everything, you know, that would be the, the thing that comes to my mind. Open it up. Yeah. Open it up. I love it. Hashtag open it up. (laughs) Boyd, let me uh, just wrap up from from both of us. Thanks for uh, uh, having us in your studio, and thanks for sharing all of this. You're welcome, and uh, it's my pleasure. And uh, Just Over the Fence is on my podcast list now, and and you two have a chemistry together that I must say is quite something. So... (laughs) Uh, well, thank you, sir. You bet. So, so I should keep him around then, Boyd? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And your wife, 
Dara was so welcoming and just what a gift to be here um, and listen to you play. Thank you. I'm trying to think of another word except for wow. I use that too much. What could I say about this? This was hilltop beautiful stuff. Well, and yeah, thank you to Boyd and, and Dar. That was a joy. Yeah. Where are we going next? Down the road. I want to go to Lemon. All right. I think Lemon is in our future. Let's do it. Who do we know there? We're going to knock I, on doors? I think I kind of tangentially know a family up there. Uh, more to come on that. I I got to figure that out. Got to figure that out. Well, who, we we know where we're going. We got to figure out who we're talking to. We might be knocking on doors. <laughs> that can happen. Uh, thanks for listening. You can always find more at justoverthefence.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Just over the fence.